Thursday, November 18th, 2021. Welcome to the Geeky Sports Guy Show. This is Craig, your Geeky Sports Guy. And we have a doozy of a football weekend, kind of a prove it Saturday. Which of our teams will still have a chance? We'll break it down. The Lions did the most Lions thing they could do in the most Lions game of all time. And of course, we're going to break that down. And boy, oh boy, did the Spider-Man trailer hit every mark for me. I want to talk about it a little spoilerish. We'll get into it at the end, but I want to know what your guys' thoughts on it too. And of course, the picks. We had a great weekend. Uh, went, uh, had a couple wins, had a couple good ones. I think we got a good slate coming up too. We're going to break it all down. Before we get into it, just again, as always, please subscribe, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Get all your friends to listen to it more. Do what you can, more views, the more listens, the more subscriptions, the more we can do with it. I already appreciate the sport support as always. Just continue what you're doing. Now let's get into the football. All right, number seven, Michigan State goes down and defeats Maryland 40 to 21. And I mean, this game, it was a weird game to watch because it just felt Maryland. You know, it's just like a car you have, an old style with an actual key, and you're trying to turn it over, and everything seems to be working, and just that last second just won't click and won't turn over. That was, that's Maryland. Every time they got the ball, they do some flashy stuff, and you think they're going to put it together, they're going to give some teams some trouble, and they just don't, and they just fall flat, and that was this game. Maryland just couldn't turn it over, couldn't get the or anything really going for them, stayed in it the best they could. They threatened the spread the whole game at least, but... They never really had any chance of winning this game. Now, this was the Kenneth Walker show again. 143 yards, two touchdowns. His season now, he is just about, he is 1,473 yards, just under 1,517 TDs. That yardage leads the NCAA, and he's tied for the lead in touchdowns too. From And, you know, up in those, it's a couple guys he's tied with, but a lot are teams that basically only run the ball, uh, smaller teams. So... He is in a good position if you really want to start getting excited and start thinking about the highs. Because I do think he is going to be, I mean, he has to be at this point. He's got to be one of the top three. I don't see anyone else surpassing him. Now, will he win? I don't know. I think he deserves to. But, you know, it's very tricky. They don't really like giving it to running backs. We'll see how it goes. Thorne, you know, look good. 22 for 30, 287 yards, four touchdowns, and a pick. Uh, I mean... Thorne has great games when Walker has great games because it takes a lot of pressure off of him, gives him a lot more openings. State hit another flea flicker to start the game for a touchdown. I swear, I I have no idea where I could even look that up, but it's got to be close to an NCAA record of successful flea flickers for touchdowns in a single season. It's got to be up there. Um, The negatives of this game, though, is the Michigan State pass defense. It remains to be a problem. Tua... Well, not good. I mean, he did have 48 attempts, completed 29 passes, 350 yards. Only two touchdowns with the pick, but a lot more passes were there. They were open. Tua just couldn't hit them. It was, it's got to be a concern going into Ohio State week. Uh, Saturday noon against Ohio State. Everything's on the line for Michigan State here. And they have the confidence in it because as I'm recording this, as I'm going through all my notes, what I want to talk about. The Mel Tucker news starts breaking, where it is looking like Michigan State is closing in on a 10-year, $95 million extension for Mel Tucker. Now, that would put him as the highest-paid Big Ten coach. Wouldn't even be close for that. And he'd be, I 
I think top five with that money. It's going to really depend on the how much is incentive, how much is base. But you're talking about you're going to be paying him as one of the highest paid coaches in college football. Now, if you do that, this game, I mean, everything's on the line. You have everything in front of you. Michigan State wins out. They win the Big Ten and they go to the playoff in Tucker's second year. But you pay your coach that much money, which I have, I have issues with paying coach that much money like Tucker, and I'll get into them. But you go into this Ohio State game, you're done with this. All right, let's just, you know, we're, it's, it's you know, house money for the season already. We've already won a lot more than we're expected to. We're just happy to be here. Let's just continue to grow. You pay your coach that kind of money, kid gloves are off. You're entering the ring of the big boys. You're paying coaches the same amount of money as like Dabo Sweeney, Nick Saban. You'll be paying your coach, I think, almost three times as much as Jim Harbaugh's base salary right now. Which, I mean, it's deserved compared to Jim, but if you're in that realm with the highest paid coaches, comes with expectations. And those expectations, I would imagine if I'm paying a coach $9.5 million a year, I want to compete for the Big Ten every single season. Any season that we don't win the Big Ten, paying that kind of money is a failure. And, I mean, you're expecting to go to the playoff. You don't have to go to the playoff every year, but you're expecting once every couple of years, once every three years to get in there. If you win the Big Ten, you're in the playoff. So, I mean, I guess really your expectation should be the playoff every year. Unless somehow, you know, it's a weird Big Ten year where you win the Big Ten and Big Ten gets left out. It's, those are the expectations. I just hope the team and the fan base doesn't go soft on those. You can't pay your coaches like the big boys like that. And then also say, you know, we're a smaller time program. So just a little bit of success is all we need. You just kind of planted a flag and said, hey, we're here. We're here to stay. And we want to stay up here with the big boys. Now you got to play like it. Now, Ohio State is going to try to pass all day on Michigan State. That's what Maryland tried to do. They couldn't do it successfully. But that's how Purdue beat them. That's how Michigan played Michigan State. And, I mean, you saw the success there with Cade McNamara getting about 450 yards passing. It works if you do it right. And Ohio State has the best personnel to do it. Their defense, uh, they've struggled against the run, but they've gotten a lot better. Spread right now is Ohio State by 19, over under 67.5. If you're looking at those two, I would say minus 19 is probably what I would go with. I don't, I'm not going to play this game. I just, my head's in it too much because of the implications for Michigan. But minus 19 is, I think, I think Ohio State blows them up. And I know it's not what state fans want to hear. I know it makes me sound like a hater, but hear me out. Ohio State has top level weapons at every position, offensive, defense. Michigan State has weapons, but they're hurt too. They already lost one of your highlight receivers. You have one and you got the best running back in football. But Ohio State's going to be able to scheme, and Walker's going to get his yards. He's going to get touches, but they can contain him enough to where I think you're going to need to rely on the deep passing game more. And Ohio State's defensive secondary, you know, it's no slouch. They haven't been great, but they have extremely talented players. And I don't know if Michigan State's defense is going to be able to stop Ohio State. So, I mean, I wouldn't go with the over-under, over I'd even think under, because I think it's either Ohio State and a blowout, so it'll be a one-sided scoring or if State gets their way, it's going to be a lower scoring, ball control, tight defense, a little tighter defensive game. So I don't think we got over either way. It's just Michigan State's going to have to play the T.O.P. game. Keep that time of possession and control the ball with Walker. you got to keep the ball out of Stroud's hands, out of Ohio State's hands. That's the only way they have a chance at winning this game. I don't think they're going to win. Personally, I hope they don't because I'm losing opens the door for Michigan. But, I mean, just looking at this game objectively, I just don't see Michigan State getting it done. If they do, though, Tucker well deserves that extension. 
Now in Ann Arbor, number six, Michigan defeats Penn State 21-17. I mean, this was a tight, typical Big Ten game. Kind of boring if you're not a fan of either of the team, but apparently it had its ratings were through the roof for the week. It was the highest watched game that this weekend. Granted, it wasn't a great card, but you know, it is what it is. Michigan usually loses this game. Nine times out of ten, me watching Michigan throughout the years, they lose this game. You play well, you had your opportunities that you just miss all day, finally losing the lead at the end, needing to come back. And that final drive would have been, you know, Michigan throwing a pick or fumbling the ball or whatever. And, you know, the game just being over and talking about, but God, if they would have caught this ball in the third quarter, that could have been a whole different game. But Michigan, I mean, they handled the adversity, went down, you know, they are basically they're up 14-6 in the fourth, let Penn State come all the way down. Terrible. Give up a two-point conversion, which at this point, I'm just... If there's ever a book or a casino that will take action on, as the play is coming and Michigan's lining up to stop a two-point conversion, I will bet that it will be successful every time. Because it's 100% effective against Michigan. They just can't stop a two-point conversion. It's it's so annoying, but, you know, whatever. And then Michigan gets the ball back. We're tie game, about eight minutes left. And what do they do? They fumble the ball. It's a bad turnover by Cade. I don't know if I can really put it on him. It was a sack, fumble, you know, line wasn't great. Didn't hold up that well during the day. K goes down, fumble the ball, Penn State. Thankfully, the Michigan defense holds them to a field goal. And then, like that, where it was like four minutes left, you know, and you think the game's over. This is the typical gym era. And Michigan came right down the field, scored. Cade found Eric All for about a 43-yard touchdown off a slant. Beauty of a play. They made the right plays when they needed to. And the defense held. And they win the game. And I get it. Penn State's not a good team. Like, you started the season thinking, is Penn State going to win the Big Ten? Are they playoff material? And they're already talking about maybe firing James Franklin. It really kind of went the other way for him. But, you know, that still, take the records away at Happy Valley, down in that position. That's a game Michigan loses. Now, am I saying Michigan's the greatest team in the world for winning it? No, but it's different from what they usually do. And that is a good sign. I'm not a gym fan. And if you've listened to me ever, you know that. So for me to give them any credit is a step in the right direction. I mean, they did something correct. I mean, the MVP of this game by far is the Michigan defensive line. Not even like the defensive line, the defensive front. I mean, seven sacks. Aiden had three himself. Aiden is just on fire as of late. Michigan, I mean, they they can't do what they just said. They did exactly what they did with State and Nebraska. But, I mean, they beat Nebraska. They lost to State doing the same thing. They come down to these end of the games. It's tight. They try to run the ball. They go too conservative let the team back in it, and then, like State, found themselves in a position where they lost the game and couldn't get back down the field. You gotta tighten that up. You can't do that. Now, this week, Michigan is playing at 3.30 on Saturday against Maryland. This is the last one to get through before the big game. It's Michigan's a 15-point favorite, over-under is 56.5, and everyone who looks at this game is going to tell you they think it's a trap game, they think it's a look-ahead spot for Michigan, Michigan's gonna be too focused on Ohio State, it's a tough road trip, and they will blow this game. Now, that could be true, but if you're anything, right? Jim knows his career is on the line. Him taking that pay cut was huge for him. I mean, he thought he would get another job and be able to walk away. No one really offered him. Jim's kind of, you know, he's he's coming to the end of this career if he doesn't turn something around. I don't think he's going to have any look-ahead problem here. I think he knows he has to bury Maryland. Has to happen. Has to have confidence going against Ohio State. So I'm not worried about that. I mean, Maryland relies on the pass, and they can't stop the run. And that is just a recipe for disaster, playing a team like Michigan right now. 
I think I'm not going to call it a win. I'm not like a crazy person like that. But looking at this on paper, I don't think Michigan has any issue. And hopefully, you know, they are just fully prepared to move forward and play Ohio State at home. Now, Michigan State, Ohio State happening about three hours before kickoff. It's a huge game for Michigan. If Michigan State loses and Michigan wins, that means Michigan plays Ohio State for the chance to go to the Big Ten title. Just like many other years we've seen this situation play out, Michigan then gets embarrassed by Ohio State. But for that to happen, Michigan State has to lose. If State wins out, Michigan State goes. And even if we get into a three-way tie situation, where say Michigan State beats Ohio State, but Ohio State, you know, any kind of three-way tie, Michigan State's going to hold most of the tiebreakers against Michigan. Basically, we need State to win. I mean, State to lose. And then Michigan to win next week. And Michigan's in the Big Ten title game. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's a moot point anyway. I don't see any way Michigan beats Ohio State. I don't think either team do. Ohio State's going to, I think, walk through these last two weeks, go to the Big Ten title game, win, and then go to the playoff. But who knows? I mean, we have to have hope. We have to watch the games. We have to just hope something finally for Michigan can change. Now, the Detroit Lions did change something. For their first time this season in the Dan Campbell era, they did not lose the game. Now, they didn't win either. They tied Pittsburgh 16-16, and I I just don't know what to say about it. And look, I've been defending this team as best as I can, and it's grinding on me. It's getting hard. And I knew this going into the season. Most people don't and didn't realize a rebuild like this is going to be ugly, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to question everything about being a fan of your team to watch them go through it. But this is bad. And it's a really bad spot. Just winning a game would do so much. But look, I mean, late Lions get lucky late. Pittsburgh did everything they could to lose that game. Lions don't have their kicker, so they don't even have a chance to really try and win the game. The kick that Santoso put off at 48 yards was, I, I think there's high school kickers that can give a better effort than that. He couldn't even get the ball in the air. I, I It led to the Lions running open tryouts this week. It's It was embarrassing, and then the only reason Pittsburgh doesn't win is because they fumble with eight seconds left, seven seconds left, not even getting a chance to kick the game-winning field goal. And that's it was the most Lions game ever. And I'm not saying same old Lions because I do not believe in same old Lions, but it was close. <laughs> and you watch the game, and I'm sitting there, and it's just anything that could be SOL-esque was going on in this game. And the one thing I've been doing a lot of that – is getting a lot harder is defending Dan Campbell. Now he took over play calling this game from Anthony Lynn. So, I mean, cool. We're firing an offensive coordinator after, I mean, pretty much decided after nine games is what it is. But Dan Campbell's play calling has never done it before. And now look, when it comes to Dan Campbell, and I've talked about this before, and it pains me to hear it on the radio. And look, this is going to be an unpopular opinion. I get that. You're either going to really agree with me or you're going to hate everything I'm about to say. And I'm sorry, but listening to the radio, it's the same thing. Like, I listened to 97.1, 2 o'clock hour, Mike Filani and Rico Beard. And they've hated Dan Campbell from the beginning. They hated the bite kneecaps and joking about having a pet tiger and, you know, doing the rah-rah stuff. They're like, oh, you just win games, blah, blah, blah. You either get it or you don't, and it probably stems from did you play football or not. Because if you played football, I think there's a good part of you that has had coaches like this that understands the locker room type guy that gets you to buy in like that. 
I understand it. I get where he's coming from, but I also can see what someone who's never played football really, or never was in that competitive level, completely making this thing stupid. Like the thought that, Oh, these players are probably like, this man is silly. I want someone serious to go over schematics and data lines with me about, you know, how often a rush per attempt and, you know, all the different stats like that, the nerd stuff. These football players, for the most part, don't care about that. Quarterbacks may be certain positions, but for the most part, <laughs> football is pure emotion. You do the, all the right things during the week, but that game day, that whole week is getting you fired up to just go out there and hit someone as hard as you absolutely can. And that's what Dan Campbell does for these guys. And I see it. And I want him to succeed so bad. And he's made some mistakes. He has. He's a first-time coach. But I think we knew that. That's another one of those things. We knew that going into this season, he was a first-time coach. He was going to make some in-game mistakes, like timeout usage. Now, play calling's brand new to him. I don't think he did a terrible job. Now, people are always going to go, well, third and long. Their lines are running the ball. They're not even throwing. Because they don't have a quarterback. And you're going to go, well, Dan Campbell's job is to have a quarterback. Is it? Or is this a Brad Holmes call? You know, is this, they already decided Jerry Goff is our quarterback. And look, you want to go back further and can more conspiracy theory? How many times did Stafford have a capable backup that could push him? You know, how many times did Stafford bench in his career? Twice, maybe when it was absolutely necessary. It's, I think this is more than anything a direction from the Fords of, we will rebuild, but we have to sell tickets somehow. Jared Goff's the name he has to play. That's the only reason I can see him playing. Everyone's going, you need to put Blow and just see what he does. I, Dan Campbell's a football guy. I think he knows if he could do that, he would have done that. I have to believe that. Look, Dan Campbell's a rah-rah guy. He wears his heart on his sleeve. And if you're someone out there that hears what he says, and you're like, oh, this guy sounds like a moron. He needs to be more serious and talk about more uh, defensive strategy in this situation. You're just not a football guy. And look, I'm not saying you can't enjoy the game of football or you don't watch it and know what you're watching. Not that at all. It's just, it's that mental part of you from when you played, like just that speaking to your heart, lighting, you know, a fire under you and getting going. If you're a stats guy, you're a stats guy. And that's fine. I Plenty of my friends are stats guys and I have great football conversations with them. But they don't fully understand this fire that you have to get in football from your co- from everything around you to get you pumped up enough to win this game. Look, I hate the comparison of war or anything like that with sports. But football is the closest thing of you're going to war against another team. You have to give everything. You have to pull everything out from inside of you and give enough effort to win. It's not just about being the smartest person, the most well-studied, the best strategy. You have to have that fire. And Campbell brings it out of these guys. They suck, but he's bringing it out of them. So I get when people don't understand it, but for people that... You know, the more the wins don't come. And you're like, oh, he did this. He buried this tape. He said this thing. He said this thing. It's, look, you're never going to like it, and that's fine. You're just going to keep saying it's the wrong thing to do until someone wins. But, God, these pencil pushers, I swear. I get it. If you don't, you know, rap with me about it, and I'll talk. It's hard. It's very hard to explain. And the best way I can say it is either you're a football guy or you're not. And that's not saying, like, you're not a person that can enjoy the sport or understand it. It's just you, someone like me approaches the sport a lot different than someone like you approaches it. And we just see it from different angles. And that's it. It's the best way I can explain it. So either way, this weekend, uh, they're at Cleveland, 1 p.m. game. That's not going to go well. I mean, uh, maybe Cleveland a couple weeks ago, but Cleveland's getting a lot of their injured players back. Kareem Hunt's playing. They're going to be able to run the ball at will. And Baker's going to have play action open all day. 
Lions are a 10-point underdog. I think this one, I mean, especially the way it's been going. Lions have an inspired effort, play pretty well. The next week, they usually come and fall on their face. That's probably this. Not going to be our first win. I'm just going to say that now. Uh, hopefully, Chicago, Thanksgiving. But I don't know. It's 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 getting late. It's getting late in the year. And the noise on Campbell and Holmes is going to get louder and louder unless they can get a win or two. And you're saying, well, what about the draft pick? Don't worry about draft picks in this. You will find players where you are if you are good at being a GM. You have to have your fan base and your players buy in a little bit. And the best way to have anyone buy in is to show that what you're trying to do can succeed and you can win. So they just got to show a win. Hopefully it's this weekend, but I wouldn't hold my breath. Time for the picks, and it was a good weekend. It was. We go five and one. Podcast picks are up to thirty-three and twenty-six on the year. Football total, I'm one hundred and thirty-seven and one hundred and three, hovering at profitability. And really, at the end of the day, that's all you can ask for. Now, last week we cashed on Pitt. Since he's over, the Georgia over, Baylor we had plus seven, and they win the game outright. Michigan money line, we missed on Maryland. It's, and Maryland had the opportunities to do it, too. They just couldn't get it done. It was close. They had the opportunity at the end. You know, it, it is what it is. Can't be perfect all the time. Five and one, though. Great day. I'll take it. Now, looking over this card, I do love this weekend a lot more than I loved last weekend. So, looking at these games, I don't know. I, 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 I can feel a 6-0 sweep here. Hopefully, we do something. Friday, 9 p.m., we're going to start off with Houston. Minus eight versus Memphis. Houston needs this game. Houston is trying to do something with their season. They've been on a roll. I don't think Memphis is going to put up much of a fight against them. I think this will be a Houston blowout win. Saturday noon, going to go with Illinois plus 14 versus Iowa. This is going to be a very low-scoring game. I think the book has been out on Iowa for this. Iowa has one of the best defenses in football, but they cannot move the ball. They need you to give them opportunities and turning it over in your side of the field, giving them good field position to put points up. Illinois is not a good offense, but they've been smarter with the ball. They're also a great defense. So, well, not great. Very good. I think this could be a very low-scoring game. Like, I'm talking, I can see this be like a 15-9 kind of game. So, I'm going to take two touchdowns. Saturday, 4 p.m., BYU minus 20 versus Georgia Southern. BYU always falls apart against the good teams, but they show lack the bad teams. And this is going to be another example of that. BYU is going to win by a billion. I love Navy plus four at 330 against ECU. ECU was our darling two weeks ago, but this week I think Navy just with their ball control offense. They're firing on some good cylinders right now. I'll take a chance at them. I like them money line, but I'm going to take the four points. Then Saturday night, we got Utah minus three versus Oregon. And I know you're sitting there going, Oregon, the number three team in the country. How are they a three-point underdog against Utah? Well, that's what I look at. It is a weird spread. It doesn't make a lot of sense. You're basically saying because Utah's own team is three points. So roughly this is a pick-up against the number three team in the country. When the spreads weird, lean into it. I'm going to take Utah minus three. And then, oh, and noon, earlier that day, the only over-under we're going to play, MSU-OSU, under 69. 
that is just way too high of a number, I think. I think this is either one of two things is going to happen in this game. If Michigan State is in this game, it's going to be a low-scoring affair where it's a little bit tighter possession-wise. Defense is going to play pretty good. If Ohio State takes this game, it's going to be a blowout. And both those ways, I don't see us getting the 16. So take that under. So Houston minus 8. Illinois plus 14. BYU minus 20. Navy plus 4. Utah minus 3. And MSU, OSU under 69. Let's get that sweet. So now in my favorite, what was once my favorite time of the week, and show to come on, which has now become the hardest to watch half hour of TV and dealing with the fans for the next three, four days. The college football playoff rankings. We are with a fresh set. And I'm going to break them down and make it a little easier to talk about what's going to happen moving forward and what we can see. I'm not going to talk about the specifics of where people are ranked because this is where they're ranked. Nothing we say or do can change that. If you think State should be above Michigan, they're not. And that's just what it is. State fans, go out and beat Ohio State. You'll be back above Michigan. That's just how the season's going to go. It's all going to play out. We're going to break down the rest of the, the rankings as they are on what we think will happen. So looking at the latest rankings, I think what the committee has shown is we've whittled it down to nine teams. Now, number 10's Wake Forest. Unless a lot of significant chaos happens, I don't think they have any shot of getting in. They just don't have the strong games left to make any big last stand or, you know, last body of work to really get them over the hump. So we'll start from the back. Well, we'll start from the top, make it a little bit easier. So number one's Georgia. Georgia currently, according to, now these percentages I'm going to use are from 538.com. Uh, the Percentage that we're going to be looking at right now is just what their current, as they sit now, percentage of making the playoff. Georgia, number one, 81% chance of making the playoff. Remaining games, they play Charleston Southern, <laughs> which is, it's I can't believe the SEC still does this. But, and then they can follow up with at Georgia Tech. Both should be easy wins for them. Don't see any issue there. They'll be, well, I mean, they'll win by 60 this weekend, and then next weekend, Georgia Tech, they'll probably win by 30. Then they'll have the SEC title game. Looking like 99% chance it's going to be against Alabama. Now, I think they'll win that too. That's just my opinion, and we'll kind of go through this. Number two, Alabama remaining. This weekend they play Arkansas at home. Number 21, Arkansas. You might be saying, oh, they could stumble there. Well, they are a 21-point favorite. And then at Auburn. Now, that I think is a little scarier of a game for Alabama just because of the rivalry. And then, you know, you win both of those. They're in the SEC title game versus Georgia. Now, the way it works out, I don't have everything in front of me. But Alabama, a lot needs to happen for them to not make the SEC title game. They've pretty much got it wrapped up. They, I really think they only need to win one more game. And even if they lose both, I think they still have most of the tiebreakers. But we'll get there. Alabama is sitting at a 59% chance currently to make the playoff. Now, number three, Oregon, 42% chance. Plays at Utah. That's going to be a very tough game. They're not favored to win. They're the underdog. Then they come home versus Oregon State. Easy win. And then the Pac-12 title game, which is more than likely going to be Utah. So they're going to have to play Utah twice in the next three, or four weeks. And if we're being completely honest, I don't really see any chance of them winning that game. Or both of those games. They're going to drop one of those. I think they'll be out. Number four, Ohio State. 40% chance to make the playoff. They have probably the toughest schedule remaining out of any teams. 
Uh, number seven, MSU at home this weekend, and then they travel to Michigan. Now everyone's going to go, well, the Michigan game's easy because they always win that. Ha, 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 ha. Probably true. But on pa- look, we got to look at this realistically on paper. That is a tough schedule. Then they'll have the Big Ten title game against either Wisconsin or Iowa, however that match uh, plays out. That won't be an issue. Their next two are the tougher ones. Number five, Cincinnati. Currently with a 34% chance to make the playoff, which is a lie. Uh, home against SMU, and then they're at ECU. Both easy wins for them. And then an AAC title game versus Houston. That could be a loss. I don't know. Cincinnati's not a good team. They could lose any one of these games. They haven't looked impressive in a couple weeks now. They're never going to move into the top four unless literally every team we read on this 19 list loses besides them. So, I mean, we don't really need to talk too much about them. Now, number six, Michigan, with a 23% chance to make the playoff. They're at Maryland this week. Should be an easy win. They're over a two-touchdown point favorite. And then at or then home against Ohio State, which they've only beat them once in like 16 years now. It is, I wouldn't give them a good chance to win this game or that game, but it's possible. And now the way the Big Ten's working out, if Michigan wins out and Ohio or Michigan State loses to Ohio State, Michigan will be in the Big Ten title game and play either Iowa or Wisconsin. Now, for this to happen, though, Michigan State has to lose to Ohio State because if they don't, it's going to create this whole tiebreaker mess. And because of Michigan State's win over Michigan, they have it pretty much. Say Michigan State wins against Ohio State and then Michigan beats Ohio State. Ohio State would then have two losses in the Big Ten. Michigan and Michigan State would both have one. State would have to have to have tiebreaker. If Michigan State were to lose to Ohio State, but lose to or lose to Ohio State, they're done. And then if Michigan State were, yeah, so really, anyway, it's either State wins a tiebreaker or they get eliminated. So we want them to get eliminated. If you're a Michigan fan like me, but for, that's how Michigan gets in. But I still believe if Michigan just wins out and doesn't go to the Big Ten title game, Michigan State does. Both of those teams will get in. Number seven, Michigan State, currently with a ten percent chance. It's <laughs> that's just mean. But they're playing at Ohio State this weekend and then home against Penn State. Both tough games. Penn State always plays them tough. It's always a big game. They both play each other tough. Either one's having a down year. They usually step up and play really well. Michigan State spoil Penn State seasons a lot of times. Could see it come the other way here. And then obviously if State wins out, they go to the Big Ten title game against either Iowa or Wisconsin. Number eight, number 20 with 23% chance, Notre Dame. They got Georgia Tech at home and at Stanford. No conference title game because they remain independent, and that's probably a nail in the coffin for them. I don't see any way they could move up this list with Cincinnati ahead of them since Cincinnati beat Number uh, nine, and our last team and most intriguing team in this ranking is Oklahoma State. They have a 32% chance right now. They still have to play at Texas Tech and home against Oklahoma. And then if they win both of those, well, Oklahoma State basically has the Big 12 appearance in the championship locked up there's a lot of stuff that has to happen for them not to go so we'll just count it and that so that would be again against Oklahoma rematch or Baylor depending on things hang out so that'd both be another so they would have two top 25 wins if they went out for the rest of their season now that could be a lot of firepower to move up the ranking can they do it I don't know but so basically I ran through on 538 you can do a couple different things and I just want to see, you know, what happens with certain teams I think will win out, how that shakes up the playoffs. So I put Ohio State, Georgia, Oregon, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, and Notre Dame all winning out. That's Oklahoma State beating Texas Tech, Oklahoma, 
So this isn't taking into account the big to- or the championship games because they don't know those matchups. Just if they win their last two. So Oklahoma State wins Texas Tech in Oklahoma. Notre Dame beats Georgia Tech and Stanford. Uh, Cincinnati beats SMU and ECU. Ohio State beats Michigan State and Michigan. Oregon beats Utah and Oregon State. And Georgia beats uh, Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech. No, sorry, it does include the title game. So then that's also a Georgia win against Alabama. Uh, Oklahoma State win against Oklahoma. And uh, Ohio State over Wisconsin. And Oregon beats Utah twice. So if that happens, I did a couple of the percentages. And it basically gave you your four teams. If those teams win out, Georgia's got a 99% chance of getting in. Oregon will have a 95% chance. Ohio State with 86. Cincinnati, even winning out, winning every game, 22% chance. But 86% chance Oklahoma State if they win that out. That would be your playoff. You'd have Georgia against Oklahoma State round one and Oregon versus Ohio State in the semifinal. I think that's a pretty good matchup. It just shows you Cincinnati's got no shot here. And we should just have a secondary playoff for the non-Power 5. I'd watch it. I'd bet it. It'd be a great time. But that's how it shakes out. I mean, I think Oklahoma State can play spoiler. I don't think Notre Dame's got a shot. Michigan or Michigan State and Ohio State will eliminate each other. Only one will be left standing in two weeks. And Georgia, I mean, Georgia beats Alabama. Alabama, even with two losses, I don't think they can put them in. I think they're already reaching having Alabama at two. But, you know, we've seen them do worse. That's how I think it's going to shake out. How do you think it's going to shake out? Hit me up on the social medias and let's talk about it. All right, and I just need to geek out a little bit because they just dropped the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer. The new trailer, the one that confirms a lot of stuff, and I'm going to go through it. I'm going to talk about my opinions on it. I'm going to... So I know a lot of spoilers about this movie. I'm not going to go through plot spoilers, but... You know, I'm going to go through some of the spoilers that everyone pretty much already knows unless you live under a rock. So if you don't want to hear that, you might want to tune out at this point. But here we go. Three, two, one. So they finally confirm everything about the multiverse, right? We knew it was going to be Spider-Man. We saw Doc Ock in the first trailer, but now you got Lizard, you got Electro, you have Sandman, you have the Green Goblin, you have Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin. I could not be more excited to have him back in the universe. And they kept his same costume too. The stupid plastic metal helmet thing with the big yellow eyes. It looks so dumb, but it is so great. And you have to appreciate it because it was made in a time when we really couldn't get good comic book movies. You had to do certain things certain ways. And God, they tried. And I just, I actually watched Spider-Man 2 not too long ago. The one with Doc Ock. And... You know, it's old. I mean, if you compare it to the MCU stuff, it's terrible. But, I mean, you really put it in the time period it was in. It's a good movie. Like, they did so much with that when it could have flopped horribly, like, say, X-Men The Last Stand. But they made a really good film, and it really made me appreciate, like, Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man. Now, that is the other thing about this trailer. So, it's Tom Holland fighting all these guys, and you see basically the spell him and Strange work on to have everyone forget that he's Spider-Man. Because Mysterio ruined that for him, put out his identity. He wants to go back to living a normal life. It gets screwed up. And it breaks the multiverse. And now you're seeing, due to that, people are starting to come to our Earth. Why? I'm sure we'll find out in the movie. But Strange is trying to trap them all, send them back. And it also looks like he tells them, you know, these people were all killed by Spider-Man. They're Spider-Man, they're universes. So you can tell they're kind of playing at the heartstrings too with uh, our Spider-Man, Tom Holland. I'm just going to use the actor's names because it's going to be easier. Use Tom Holland 
and trying to be like, hey, if you send them back, you're giving him a death sentence. He wants to help people while Strange cares more, you know, about the timeline and the universe. And it's going to be that's going to be the little battle between them. But when you watch this trailer, there's a couple things that stand out. One, the new Electro costume is awesome. It's a little more iconic. It has more of the star mask that he had in the comics, but looks like it's made out of electricity instead of cloth. Jamie Foxx is just, they're giving him a better chance with this. And I think they owe it to him. The first Electro was so dumb. But Lizard looks great. Sandman. Sandman's the only one that doesn't fit into this. Because I, all the other villains were killed by Spider-Man. But you have Sandman, who really was reformed by the end. They kind of had an understanding. He didn't want to hurt anyone. In the trailer, it does look like he helps Tom Holland a little bit. So I guess we'll see where that goes. But it's kind of confusing to have him included. Uh, Green Goblin's obviously probably going to be the big bad. They're not showing a lot of his scenes, which tells me he has some good ones, and they're really holding that back. They're kind of making you think Doc Ock is going to be the main, but I think that's really just the first one he's going to run into and some of the initial stuff. One theory I was reading, it does look really cool. You see the scene where Tom Holland is fighting Doc Ock, and it looks like his tentacles, the arms, all start becoming red, this red metal all over him. I think something with the AI, it's, he's absorbing the nanotech from Tom Holland's suit. And that's why we don't see Tom Holland's iron suit on a lot of the trailer, just really some of the early scenes that you can see. I think it's, he's going to absorb that and kind of use that technology. Why these guys are all attacking when some of them were reformed, I don't know. That's something that's going to have to be explained in the movie. I imagine they're all working for Green Goblin in some, you know, some capacity. But the lie that this trailer is telling is they're trying to make it look like it's Tom Holland against all these guys with Strange helping them. And that is, from what I believe, Strange is going to be in the beginning of this movie and at the end of it, and that's it. Because it's also going to he has going to be dealing with his movie, uh, Multiverse of Madness. I think that's going to be around the same time as this. I think they edited out Tobey Maguire and Andrew. Now, it's wildly unconfirmed, but confirmed, that they're both in it. Andrew Garfield's been horrible in interviews, trying to keep it a secret... Filming leaks have come out where you see Andrew Garfield on and Tobey Maguire on that scaffolding where it looks like that final battle is going to be behind or in front of the blue screen. Uh, you see Andrew Garfield mouthing, uh, you have web blood, which would have to be talking to Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man because Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man shoot web, shoots webs out of his actual body as opposed to the other two who manufacture webs. They have to be in it and then this trailer comes out for the Brazilian language. And it's a little bit longer, and it shows when Tom Holland's standing there at the end on the scaffolding, and he jumps at Electro, Sandman, and Lizard. As he's jumping at them, Lizard's in the air coming at him, and all of a sudden just gets decked in the face, head comes back by something invisible you don't see. And it's happened so quick that I think they just forgot to edit it in that single version of the trailer. But clearly something punched him in the face. And I, it has to be, I think, Andrew Garfield that they CGI'd out of the scene. To kind of give you... Remember back when Infinity War, the trailer first came out, you had this big scene of all the Avengers charging with Hulk to this battle. Well, Hulk wasn't even in that movie. They threw that off. They're good with what they do. And I think this is just another situation for that. It looks so good, though. And there's a chance this could be by far the greatest comic book movie ever made. Or the worst. Because this does have to have a story. Like, it can't just be all these action nostalgia scenes thrown at you with no coherent story. It's just going to be dumb. We already know from the end of Venom that Venom is now in this universe too. Will Venom play into this movie? I think he could. I think they made that decision a little late though, so I don't know if he'll... It might be an end credit scene kind of thing. I'm so excited for this movie, and this trailer just 
you know, it, it hit a lot of the parts. And I get they want to keep the big reveal to late, but we all know what's coming. It's just good to see, like, a little couple clues that we know we're on the right track. What do you guys think? Let me know. So there you have it, another Geeky Sports Guys show. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see where our teams stack up next week. Does Michigan State move on? Are they looking at the playoff, or is their season over? Does Michigan have a shot? Are the Lions still dead in the water? Did they show some life? And what did you think about Spider-Man? And also, hopefully you make some money on the picks. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Love the support as always. Enjoy the weekend, folks. We'll get back at it next week.